from the Physically Fit Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. It is time for another groundbreaking episode of Chemical Free Horticultural Hijinks. You bet your garden. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. Are you tired of feeling all achy breaky when your gardening day is done? On today's show, we'll explain how changing the way you work outdoors can leave you feeling refreshed instead of ruined. Plus, restoring a damaged mountain with native plants. And your fabulous phone call questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and belatedly bellicose boomifications. So stay right where you are, cats and kittens, because it's all coming up faster than you enhancing your endurance. Right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Coming up later in the show, we will learn you about proper postures for you to use when you're lifting and shoveling and weeding so that you don't walk inside the house after you're done looking like a human question mark. Also, for you podcasters and radio listeners, we continue with our feature in the news just for you. This time out, we have another good news story. Stay tuned for the tale of a once ruined mountain being rescued from Superfund status. You don't want to miss it, and you won't, because it's coming up right here on You Bet Your Garden. 888-492-9444. Jack, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you, and thank you for uh, having me. Well, thank you for being had, Jack. How you doing? I'm doing fine. I'm in a little dilemma with this problem I have, and I'm hoping that uh, you could give me some advice or at least clear some things up. Okay. Where are you, man? I am in Woodbury, New Jersey. I know that. I, well, I don't. I didn't know that. I know where it is. Um, okay, uh, proceed, sir. Well, uh, it seems that for the past two years, I've been having these flying insects in my around my property, and they've been going into the soil, digging, burrowing into the soil, and laying their eggs. Uh, they were called digger wasps, according to the agency that I paid to come out here and to remove them. Mm-hmm. And they used a chemical called tri-dye. In either case, I was totally against doing that. But I had a problem because uh, the neighbors complained they were having it too. And they had a person from the township come out and gave me violation warnings. And I thought the next step was I was going to go to court huh? and get sued. What? Well, oh, yeah. I, it's, I, it's like... I've heard of weed violations. Um, I've never heard of someone being charged uh, because of insects on their property. Well, I can tell you the violation warning was Section 
307.01, and the title was Infestation. Oh, oh, so it's like you got termites or something. Oh, man, uh, Woodbury is, uh, is a tough taskmaster. Okay. The uh, now, company that I, Ross Environmental Solutions, right. uh, I called yesterday, and they gave me the name of the uh, critter that was I hired to get rid of. It was Digger Wasp. Okay. Uh, I don't know that that's the common name of any insect. There are a number of native bees that behave like this, and they are referred to as, quote, digger bees. And there are two wasps that come to mind um, that do this. What time of year are we talking about when they show up? Are they out there already? Uh, June-ish, middle of June, uh, and they're around until uh, it starts getting cold. Okay. Now, let me tell you what's happening. There are two possibilities, and these are both very large insects. Um, The most common one is the famous cicada-killing wasp. Now— This is a—is this a fatter-type wasp? um, Well, you could look it up. You could look it up. Um, Okay. what I have is more like a, uh, uh, not a praying man, one of the uh, plagues of Egypt. Uh, what are they? I can't think of the name of it. Uh, grasshoppers? Grasshoppers. They're in that order. They're about that size. Oh, okay, but grasshoppers don't dig. Um, no. Okay, so again, let me tell you. Um, there are two wasps that have a good size about them and have this habit. One is the cicada killer. The female finds a cicada in a tree or something, stings it to paralyze it, drags it to a hole that she has dug, drops the cicada's body down into the bottom, lays her eggs on top of it, and then fills in the hole. So that when the eggs hatch, the developing uh, wasps feed on uh, the poor cicada's body. The other is a really fascinating creature called the blue-winged wasp. It is very distinctive. It is very blue. You would not confuse it with anything else. It flies. uh, I helped build a garden Uh, for the Salvation Army in North Philadelphia, a big community garden. And one day they called me and said, nobody can get into the garden. We need your help. And I went down and the the entire garden was covered with blue winged wasps. And it was, it, it was beautiful. And I got the people who were tending the garden and I said, come out with me. And I very deliberately walked around the garden, even waving my arms a little bit. And I said, see, they're not going to sting you. They're aerating the soil. They're not doing any harm. And the same is true of uh, the cicada killer wasp. Uh, she has no interest in you. Her, you're, you're too big for her kids to eat. 
So mm -hmm. these are just natural creatures uh, going about their own business. The thing that leads them to a lawn is the fact that the lawn is poorly kept. Um, never cut your lawn below three inches. Uh, first of I all, do not. pardon? I do not cut it lower than three inches. And you don't have any bare spots in it? Uh, a little bit, but I also have a uh, lawn doctor come in and take care of them. Well, that's part of the problem, too, because they're spraying chemicals all over it and weakening the grass. <laughs> no, I'm serious. This is, this is money you're not only wasting, but you're endangering your own health. What you want to do is have a professional come out in the fall and overseed your lawn by laying down screen topsoil or compost and then overseeding it with a matching grass. Um, in the fall, the soil is warm. The grass is going to germinate instantly. Um, it will look fabulous, and there won't be any opportunities for these insects. Um, the secret to having them go to your neighbor's lawn is to have a healthier lawn with no bare spots. And that's countering... The way to do that is counterintuitive. Most people want to do everything in the spring. But you're growing a cool season grass, and everything needs to be done in the fall. Anytime. I don't think I, I, don't think I have to go through that step simply because if you were to come and take a look at my yard, it's like a golf course, like a green. I got a pretty good yard. Uh, okay. I mean, all that I can tell you, is they go after lawns that are cut too short, that are chemically fed, and that have bare spots. And Maybe that's why they're in my garden. Well, yes. I got several gardens around here. Yes. Uh, they will go in a garden because the, you know, there's bare soil on top. Right. Now, you can solve that by mulching with pine straw, uh, which is newly available in your area. But these things are not a danger. Uh, they don't hang around for all that long. And, um, you know, educate. Uh, but if your neighbor is using gasoline, that's job number one. Call your local EPA office. They will come out. They'll help you um, with the township, and they'll get your neighbor to stop. Okay, uh, two more things I'd like to mention. When they burrow into the soil, I have it looks like a like a little mound of sand where they went in at. Yeah, it's about the size of a fist. Okay, uh, does that help you in the specifying which one is what? No. Okay. Okay. Hmm. So I'm sorry you have this neighbor problem. Um, and again, I mean, we have to point out nobody's been stung, right? I've run a lawnmower cutting the grass over uh, these critters, and they fly up, but they don't, they don't attack you. They don't bother you. Exactly. They are not a problem. Right. So what I want you to do, call the EPA and also get a ruler and measure your grass after you're done cutting it. If it's lower than three inches, raise the cutting height on your mower. And be done with lawn doctor and pest killers and all those other 
um, I'll call them people because I've been nice. <laughs> After the first two cuts of the season, my lawnmower is on high. I can't get it any higher. Look, all I can tell you is it needs to be three inches. I can't help with your equipment. We got to go now. I'm sorry. Thank you very much for your advice and your help. All right. Good luck to you, sir. Bye-bye. Thank you. And have a good day. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and inform all of you that our special audio-only segment in the news is coming up. This time out, we present a story from the Allentown Morning Call about a massive restoration that will turn a former Superfund site back into a beautiful mountain filled with native plants. That's coming up right here on You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden. From the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, we will learn you how to work in the garden without pain, or with a lot less pain than you've been getting the last couple of years. You may think you know how to shovel and lift and do all those kind of things, but our resident PT expert, Phil Dunphy, is going to tell you some tips and tricks that will make your gardening life easier. You won't want to miss it, and you won't. It's coming up after more of your fabulous phone calls at 888-492-9444, 888-492-9444. Mark, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hello, Mike. How are you? I am just uh, Ducky. I can't reach Ducky. If you're watching on TV, I'm trying to pat Galactus, and I don't think that'll work out real well. How are you, sir? I am fine. And where is Mark Fine? I am in Warrington, Pennsylvania. It's Bucks County. Okay, very good. What can we do you for? Well, I have three rhododendron in front of my house. And they were very healthy, doing really well. They're about 25-plus years old. Mm -hmm. And one was removed due to a plumbing a pipe problem. And it was replanted by the plumbing contractor. And since that time, which was about five years ago, it has looked terrible. It's tired. Leaves have fallen. Uh, it still blooms. It's, it's still alive. But I just want to try to revive it. Is there any suggestions you have? Yes, go back in time and don't let the plumber replant it. Um, 
they don't like trees and big shrubs because they um, enlarge little cracks in water pipes. Um, let's see. Uh, uh, it had to be planted in a totally new location or it went back to where it had been? No, it went exactly back where, well, close to exact as possible where it had been. Okay, good, good. And were you around when they replanted it? Well, no, not really. I was in the house, but I didn't physically watch them do that. Okay. Uh, and it's funny you're talking about a rhododendron. I just had a brand new oil heater and oil tank installed because the old one was stinky and old and old. And they had to move the supply line where they put the oil in from outside the house. And I was not paying attention either. And first time I went outside, hey guys, how's it going? Um, I noticed that the guy installing the new outside piping had removed about a third of my incredibly mature rhododendron which is well over 50 years old. So I have kind of a newly shaped rhododendron. I must have, uh, and what I did was just to try to save the flowers, I took all his uh, prunings and uh, put the individual stems in water. So I've got like 40 jars and vases and anything else that can hold water with the hope that at least I'll get to see those blooms the last time. But you know, that's the important part of this phone call. Get out there and watch. You don't leave your babies alone with a stranger. Um, <laughs> what time of year was this done? It was done in the fall, uh, late fall. It, was, it, was, it wasn't frozen yet, but it was getting cooler. Okay, well, that's, that's an ideal time to transplant, um, you know, because these are plants that need a winter chill. Um, they like cold weather. They go naturally dormant and all that. What, did you get flowers the following spring? Yes, I, I've got flowers every year since it's been replanted. But as, I'm sorry, it's a fire truck going by. But since then, it has always looked significantly weaker than the other two that are right beside it. Mm -hmm. They're three in a row. And, the, you know, the others, you can't see through them. Mm -hmm. But this, it's, 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 you know, tired looking. And with so many leaves lost, you can actually see through the plant. Yes. Um, have you... Ex I've also, excuse me... No, go ahead. I please. also put some plant food. I put I put plant food on it. Whatever I don't remember, like a Miracle Grow or something that's designed for rhododendrons. I did that like three years in a row, and to no avail. Uh, did it get worse? No, no, no. It's it's consistent. Um, I've never fed my rhododendrons. <laughs> um, no, I didn't. I would not have either, other than the fact that it looked so poor. See. When a plant looks bad, people immediately jump to food. And it's almost always the wrong type of food. But if you think, here's a guy just coming in from a car accident, he's in the trauma ward, he looks awful, 
uh, is the correct response. Here's a cheeseburger. You'll feel better. <laughs> so I hope all that stuff is washed out of your soil. Um, yeah, it, if you had wanted to feed it something, you want to feed it a natural plant food uh, for two reasons. First of all, the chemical plant foods are toxic, which is why this show exists. And the other reason is they release all their nutrients at once and it can overwhelm the plant and really stress it further. Have you examined the trunk of the rhododendron looking for any holes? Yes. No, yes, I have, and I've not seen anything unusual. And you know, as you were speaking, I real I just came to me what I used. I used holly tone on. It. Oh, okay. I said Miracle Grow, but I used holly tone. Okay, that's much better. But nothing, nothing. There's nothing significant around the trunk that indicates anything unusual. Well, um, first of all, in in one sense, in, in the largest sense, you didn't do anything wrong. The shrub had to be moved. Um, it's it's hard to say what could make it better. You say it's been five years? At least, yes. And and you get flowers, but... Uh, I do. But the tree itself looks like the dog's breakfast. Or worse, yes. Yeah. Um, um, five years it should have stabilized. Is it sitting on top of... A drainage pipe or anything like that now? Well, when they did the excavation, they went down about six to eight feet. Mm -hmm. So the pipe is significantly lower than the roots would probably be in my estimation. Mm -hmm. I wonder, um, the first thing I'm going to suggest is um, the pipe had to be replaced for what reason? Was it leaking? It was cracked, yes. It was cracked. It was a sewage sewage line. Well, you know, and the roots were, you know, right on top of that. So, you know, got to watch my language. That could have been a problem. No, well, yeah. <laughs> it looked okay before they went there, right? Exactly. Let me just say this, too. The break in the pipe was probably eight feet away from the root ball mm -hmm. and and six feet to eight feet under the root ball. So it was a significant difference where it was leaking from. Right, but it's also when the ground is saturated, that liquid is mm -hmm. is going to get into the root ball space. Um, mm, sure. You know, it might have been a situation where it loved getting those toity flushes uh, every once in a <laughs> while. Uh, do you water your shrubs when it's dry? No. I've, I've, you know, as I said, I have three there, and two are are magnificent, mm -hmm. and 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 the third one, prior to the excavation and the plumbing situation, matched the other other. Gotcha. I, I really just leave them alone. Never fed them before. Never really okay. maintained them. I just clipped off whatever looked dead. You okay. Know, and right. Did minimal pruning occasionally. Okay. What I'm going to suggest is you get a rain gauge and empty it every Sunday or whenever. Um, and if you go a week without water, I want you to take a hose out to uh, the bad rhododendron and just let it drip gently at the base mm -hmm. for okay. at least six hours. 
azaleas and rhododendrons, which are related, um, have very shallow roots, and they are often the first plants to show drought stress in the landscape. I see. So try that for this coming season. If you don't see any perkiness show up, I would remove that rhododendron. And do you have a place out back where you can plant it for the flowers or something? Well, I do, but it, it, if I remove it, uh, I, I think I would just dispose of it. Since it's so fatigued, yes, it, I don't okay. know whether it's worth replanting it. It's the height of it and the dimensions of it match the other two, even though it's on the end of the three. So the size matches the others, even though it looks fatigued. Make sure it it gets adequate water over this coming summer. Yes. Make your decision in the fall and then find something that will complement the other plants to take it place, uh, like a... Um, ornamental grass, something like that, something that'll grow okay. into, yeah, that would work. into a good shape. We got to go now, okay? Thank you, Mike. I appreciate your help. Thank you very much. All right. My pleasure. Take care. All right, audio-only files, listening to us on a podcast or the radio station of your choice or streaming through our website or however the heck you're picking us up. If you ain't seeing pictures right now, you are an audio-only file. And this is a special feature just for you fine folks, which we call In the News. And I'm happy to report that this is another good news story, because some of the ones we've been reading have been darn sad. This is from the March 20th edition of our local newspaper here in the Lehigh Valley, The Morning Call. And it is a, a tale of that's been going on for many, many years. And I think I've read about it every couple of years or so. Uh, but it looks like they're about to finish it off. And the subhead is new reseeding effort at Blue Mountain to begin after 40 years on a Superfund list. All right. Evan Jones writes, people of a certain age may remember driving down Route 248 and seeing nothing but dirt and dead trees on the mountains above Palmertown, PA. Why? Huge quantities of zinc, copper, and other heavy metals containing toxic dust have been emitted by the smelters over the years, the zinc smelters. This was the site of a zinc mine. Um, and deforested Blue Mountain, which, as you can guess by the name, was once a beautiful mountain, uh, added to the U.S. EPA Superfund list in 1983. There have been many operations to restore the foliage to the mountain and the surrounding affected area. That effort now continues with the beginning of an aerial seeding operation over 365 acres of land. Um, according to the Lehigh Gap Nature Center, airplanes will apply native seed and soil amendments um, over a period of a month. And um, 
hold on. I always wanted to do this ever since I heard that guy on the, is it Paul Harvey? Page two. There's so many little wonderful nuggets here that we can learn from. But I'll continue. This is the fourth aerial seeding. According to Chaz, no, this is the fourth aerial seeding, according to Chad Swartz, executive director of the Nature Center, as previous operations were conducted in 06, 08, 11, and 12. Funding for the project, he explains, comes from settlements of lawsuits as part of the Superfund Cleanup Act and uses no federal, state, local, or even non-profit funding. So the people who did the damage are paying for the remediation. I like that. There have been a lot of attempts over the years to bring back different types of plant material on the mountain. They planted trees, native grasses, um, 13,000 tree saplings. And now what they're doing uh, is spreading the seed of 25 different species of native wildflowers. These are all species that do not pull the contaminants out of the soil. So they're basically capping all the pollution that's in the ground. Now, that's very important. You would think that they would be interested in bioremediation when different plants, very specific plants, actually suck these toxins out of the soil, and then you cut down and destroy the plants because they're all toxic inside. Ah, but one of the reasons they're doing these native plants is there has been a comeback of wildlife in the area, especially pollinators and birds, along with native mammals, reptiles, and other insects. We've seen a huge resurgence in wildlife activity here, he says. Um, Palmerton Borough manager, Autumn Canfield, says the town's residents have noticed the changes over time. It's been a long-standing effort, and it's been a massive change from when they originally started. So I think that everyone is excited that we're seeing progress up there on Blue Mountain, which it seems to me is going to be blue again. Let's replicate this everywhere that they've a mind for toxic materials. Okay, please? And that's in the news. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and remind everybody out there who is anxious to get their plants of summer in the ground that you can't be lured by warm, sunny days because those warm, sunny days can quickly turn into dark, frigid nights. Tropical plants like peppers and tomatoes should not be planted outdoors until nights are reliably in the 50s. I'm way past my 50s, Mike McGrath. <laughs> 
and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. This is 91.3 FM, WLVR Bethlehem, WLVR.org. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath, and we're in the stretch now, cats and kittens. In just a little bit, we will teach you some tricks that will help you work outside in the garden with substantially less pain when you come back inside. You don't want to miss it, and you won't. It's coming soon, right here. William, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thanks, Mike. How's it going? Hey, I am just ducky. Um, I guess I'm also sprouty. And I guess this is as good a time as any to identify our new friend, which I am told is a large, flush mushroom gnome um, made in Scandinavia and sent to me, enjoy your gift, from an admirer. So no name or anything like that. Um, but now Ducky and Sprout have a new plush playmate. It's so exciting here at You Bet Your Garden. I could plots. How is Will doing? Doing well. Thanks for asking. And where is Will doing well? I'm in Stafford, Virginia. And that's near, help me out. Uh, south of D.C., about 45 minutes. And we're in a uh, larger development that's uh, right on uh, Aquia Creek, which leads out into the Potomac. Oh, excellent. Yes. I know that area. I was just having a brain freeze. So, <laughs> all right. What can we do for William in the greater D.C. area? So uh, my wife and I bought a house in this development uh, a couple months back. And it's about a third of an acre. And the uh, house is, uh, date, dates back to about 95. So it's a relatively mature area of the development. And uh, there are a lot of trees on the property. Uh, there's about 70 trees, uh, mainly beech, red, and white oak. And then, um, so it's fairly shaded. And a lot of the property has no ground cover whatsoever on it. So it's mainly dirt, sticks, and some rocks. Well, and those are, so I, I, I want to point out that those are three excellent trees. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to lose the trees at all. Um, we might have a few branches trimmed here or there to clean things up. But, but what I'm really wondering about, the, so the, the property is also a fairly steep slope. Um, so there's no ground cover. It doesn't look great. And there's not really a way to put a lawn into it because it's too steep to kind of mow it. So I'm wondering what would be a good choice for a ground cover to plant that could survive in the shade, uh, but also kind of keep the uh, the whole area from eroding with the summer rains. Okay. Have you heard us um, in recent shows uh, discussing creeping time, 
and other plants that are known uh, as Steppables. Steppables is uh, a branded name, but it is okay. it it includes a lot of low growing herbs and other plants, and that's what we've been recommending lately. You would have the job okay. of seeing which ones are the most um, uh, resistant uh, to stiggy and darkness. Okay. <laughs> now, now, um, is the area in general moist or dry? Uh, I would say reasonably, reasonably moist. Hmm. And, uh, do you have any idea if the soil is acidic or alkaline? Uh, that I'm afraid I don't know. There, there is a little bit of grass and a little bit of moss growing kind of on the edges. Ding, ding, ding. Uh, ding, ding, ding. That uh, tells me everything I need to know. How would you okay. like to have a moss lawn? A moss lawn? Interesting. They, they are all the rage. If you uh, go to mossacres.com, they're a company up in the Poconos that sells at least a dozen different varieties of moss, including ones yeah. that have some color and including ones mm -hmm. that have um, that will flower and ones that are very good at resisting foot traffic. Okay. Now, there are disadvantages. You never have to feed it and you never have to mow it. So I hope that doesn't disappoint you tremendously. <laughs> Not at all. Uh, what you would do is you would get a soil test or get um, something to gauge the pH of the soil in that area. If it is below six, you're ready to rock and roll. If it isn't, you can treat it with, I believe, sulfur uh, to bring the pH down. Uh, moss okay. loves acidic soil and moist soil. So okay. what, what you would do, no matter where you get your moss, it would probably come in a sheet, um, kind of like sod, and mm -hmm. you, you would wet the area, and then you would just lay it out and cover the area or you know it may be possible to put in plugs or something like that but if you spring for enough to cover the entire area you know then you're really rocking and it's done and it oh. absolutely looks beautiful it's better than grass um and again moss lawns are really hot this has been uh, a part of landscaping in Japan uh, for untold thousands of years. And oh, it, very cool. It's very serene. And if you want to lead into that, lean into that, um, you have a little statue of a temple, maybe a Buddha, um, maybe mm -hmm. a little bridge, wooden bridge. Um, but it'd be very easy to turn the area into a Japanese garden. Okay, cool. All right, so that's it, man. That's what I suggest. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. We'll look into that. All right. Good luck to you, sir. As promised, it is time once again 
for your question of the week, which we are calling Proper Postures for Personal Protection While You Work in Your Potager. As you may recall, we described several exercises in this space two weeks ago that you could and should do to get your winter body ready for springtime garden chores, courtesy of my good friend, physical therapist and exercise physiologist, Phil Dunphy. And this time, we will more properly answer the question that sparked this anti-soreness series. To wit, Julianne in Glenside, PA wrote, I'd love to hear all your tips, tricks, and advice for people who love to garden but contend with physical disabilities or limitations. I think you have given more tips about reducing physical stress when gardening than you might think. After all, the way you gardened when you were 25 years old isn't the way you garden today. First, a personal plea. Will everybody please knock it off with you're not a kid anymore comments? My body reminds me of that every day, okay? Not to mention all those lying mirrors in my house. They must be haunted. We now proceed. First, we want you to warm up. Just as with the exercises we showed you two weeks ago, you need to loosen up before you head out to the garden if you want to return to the house standing up straight. Phil suggests a 5 to 15 minute walk while holding your back nice and straight. Or 5 minutes of gentle arm swings or a nice warm shower. If it's okay with your doctor, you could also take an over-the-counter anti-inflammatory a half hour ahead of time. It is much easier to prevent muscular inflammation than it is to cure it. All right, here are the basic rules of pain-free gardening. Keep the work close to you. Don't reach out to do something. Move closer to the work instead. Always keep the work directly in front of you. Don't twist your body to reach something. Turn and face the work directly. Most important, never reach and twist. Even a light object can hurt your back if your arms are extended and your body is twisted. Don't bend and twist either. It's just as bad. Beneficial bending. If you need to lift something like a pot, plant, or a bucket, don't bend at the waist with your legs straight. Instead, flex your knees to transfer some of the weight from your back to your thighs. Don't do a full squat or you'll lose that beneficial leverage and maybe fall down, go boom. If you need to do a lot of work at ground level, get down there to do it. Use knee pads, a knee cushion, or one of them low-to-the-ground garden kneeler type thingies. Don't bend over to do something at ground level if you can kneel to do it instead. And once you are down, try and stay down. Don't do the twist. 
don't twist to reach from bed to bed. Move to the next area instead. Again, always making sure the work is in front of you. Phil warns, if you twist to reach another bed, you could easily be laid up for a week. And then who's going to weed the tomatoes? I said that, not Phil. When it's time to move to another section of the garden, try to get over to that place while you're still on the ground rather than getting up and walking over. Use one of them garden roller kneeler type things. Heck, crawl if you have to. Remember, once you're down, try to stay down. And now, two things to do while you're down. Deliberately tighten your stomach muscles as often as you can while you're kneeling. Every five minutes or so, act like a cat. Put your hands on the ground and gently roll and arch your back a few times. Just a nice, smooth, gentle motion. Doing this prevents your getting into a locked position. Sensible shoveling. Don't stand straight-legged with your back bent when you shovel. Keep your knees slightly bent to bring your legs into the act. Tighten your stomach muscles when you shovel. Always pull the shovel close to your body when it's full. A shovel full of dirt held two feet away from your body exerts enormous pressure on your back. So keep that shovel close. Proper dirt disposal. Don't turn and throw a shovel full of dirt with your feet planted. Instead, pick up your front foot, point it in the direction you want the dirt to go, pivot on your back foot until you're facing in the right direction, and then toss the doit. Don't dig for extended periods without stopping. Every five minutes or so, stop, put your hands on your hips, and lean backwards for a few seconds. You'll last longer and feel better when you're done. And finally, stretching. As we have said previously, you always want to stretch after the work is done. Stretching cold muscles before exercise can be physically harmful. In a study involving hundreds of thousands of Army recruits, injuries were greatly reduced by switching to after-exercise stretching. And that's the truth. Well, that sure was some helpful information about achieving a more graceful way of gardening now, wasn't it? Luckily for you, the question of the week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. To read it over at your leisure or, of course, your leisure, just click the link for the question of the week at our website which is still and will forever be You Bet Your Garden.org. Gardens Live supports the You Bet Your Garden question of the week, and you'll always find the latest question of the week at the Gardens Alive website. Special note, the TV version of this show will feature photos of the proper postures we just presented. To see them in all their glory, color, in color. Just check our website, youbetyourgarden.org. 
Yikes. My producer is threatening to steal my shovel if I don't get out of this studio. Eh, let him steal it. I got 12 more. We must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at 888-492-9444 or send us your email, your tired, your poor, your wretched questions teeming towards our garden shore at YBYG at WLVT.org. I'm begging you, please include your location. You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show available for viewing on PBS 39, PBS Passport, and our website. It is also an hour-long public radio show and podcast, and they are all produced and delivered to you weekly from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the Public Radio Exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created when an exploding microwave turned him into a human cell phone tower covered with a massive amount of mac and cheese. Ken Queter is our musical director. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our angel of the airways is Christine Dempsey. Our sound engineer and set decorator is cheerful Charlie Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda Norfleet. Check out all the daily new or new daily fun stuff she works on at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. World traveler Teresa Radke is our peerless princess of profound production. Our audio editor is the always lovely Jonas Bowen. Judicious Jake Boyer does the video. Our directorial director of direction is the harassed and harried Javier Diaz. Also starring Jacob Morris, Zach the Tech, and our beloved band of roustabouts, card sharks, and fortune tellers. Our CEO is Tim Fallon. I'm your host and executive producer, Mike McGrath, and I'll be potting up my pepper plants into, um, well, bigger pots, right? What? They should be smaller? Until I can see you again next week.